0: How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Hey, thank you guys for being here. The weather is nice, right? Yes, I feel like I'm a completely different human when the weather's like this. It's uh, it's really, really good. Uh, if you have never been with us before, um, we're in the Book of Hebrews. If you don't know what that is or where that is in the Bible, uh, it's in the New Testament. It's uh, right before the Book of James, so it's towards the end of the Bible. And uh, we've been in this, gosh, I guess for month and a half, something like that, six weeks, somewhere in that ballpark, and uh, we're in chapter six today. We did half of chapter six last week, and we're gonna do the the second half of chapter six today and a little bit of chapter seven today. Now, um, we've been laying kind of a foundation through this book of the Bible, and that's what we do here, if you've never been here before. We go through whole books of the Bible, and, um, and hopefully in doing that, we can kind of understand uh, the audience, we can understand the context, the history, we can really get a full picture of kind of what the Bible is trying to say to us. If you weren't here last week, we talked about this. Now this is something uh, that kind of applies to all corners of our life. We talked about this, that life must be lived with intentionality. It's a fancy way of saying we must do everything on purpose, uh, if we're going to be a great athlete or a great uh, success in business, if we're going to be educated, if we're going to have a good marriage, if we're going to have a good relationship with our children and our friends, whatever the case may be, on any level of success that we have in life, we must do it on purpose. And we talked about the highest level of success that we need to achieve is our relationship with the Lord, and that doesn't happen accidentally. We must do it on purpose. We must put effort forth, and we must uh, be intentional about our relationship with God. Okay, so moving into the second part of chapter six into the first part of chapter seven, we're gonna talk about this, that if we will be faithful to God, there is a much better way, a much better life than the life that we build for ourselves. There's a much better way than our way if we will just submit and be faithful to God. A very simple idea. Now, I'll just be straightforward with you. The issue of money comes up today, and if you've come to this church for any length of time, that's my least favorite subject to talk about in church because churches have been so uh, poor. They've done such a poor job at talking about money, handling money, and everything else. So it's a very uncomfortable subject for me, but the Bible brings it up. So we have to talk about it. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. That's not the point of the lesson today, but it's just one of the the, the facets of it, okay? So just to warn you, if I start getting squeamish up here, it's because I don't like talking about money. So um, I'm going to read a little bit. I'll do my best to break this down. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Uh, For some reason, if you didn't get a notes handout, if you have a smartphone, version, Y-O-U-Version, it's free. I think you click on live, live event, and then our church will pop up, and the notes are up there, and it's a really, really handy tool. Uh, You can use that, Okay. Everyone, everyone doing well? Good. We're a, we're a very uh, we're a very blessed people. Um, we live in a really great town, and we have a lot of things at our our, our fingertips. And and um, sometimes we're we're so quick to to talk about the things we don't have, and uh, sometimes we miss the just phenomenal things that we do have. Right? Like yesterday when the weather was just gorgeous, and it just sometimes it's the small things, right? And uh, I'm really, really glad you're here. I hope the word blesses you today. If you're in here and you're not a believer, I think there'll be some things in here that really stand out. If you're in here and you're a believer, I think there's some things in here today that will uh, that'll push you a little bit and challenge you in a good way, okay? So let me pray. We'll dive into this, I'll do my best. I made a mistake at the, the service last night and said that Peter died in a way that he didn't die. And of course, I was just like, ah! And Alicia's like, they'll be gracious with you. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I couldn't sleep last night. So uh, anyways. So if I, well, if I, <laughs> yeah, if I fall off the stage or something in exhaustion, it's, uh, it's not the Holy Spirit. I probably need medical attention. So um, <laughs> anyways, so let me, let me pray and we'll get into the word, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. I just want to tell you thank you, Lord. I, I love this church so much. I love these people so much, God. They're, they're, they're just a good group. Father, I pray, Lord, that you bless them today and I pray that you bless me today, God, as we hear your word. And as we talk about it, Father, Lord, not just our church, because that's not the focus. We pray, God, that your church, that all the churches of Murfreesboro and all the Christians of Murfreesboro, we pray that you bless the churches, bless the the congregations. Help us, God, to advance your kingdom. And Lord, help us to unify behind you, God, not a denomination or a pastor, but behind you, God. We love you, Lord. Keep your hand on us today, God, and um, just speak to us, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, God, and we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I wrote two things on my hand real quick before I start. One is this, uh, love and listen to your parking lot people out there. They have your best interests at heart. So um, when you leave the parking lot, if they're like, go left and you don't want to go left, know that you can just go a block over and cut up and avoid all this traffic. And so just just like if they point this way, just be like, hey, I'm going to go this way, right? Okay? So other thing is, is yard day. Um, community service is at the core of the DNA of this church. And I would love to have just a buttload of you people show up next week and do this yard day and mulch a ton of yards and cut a lot of yards and meet a lot of people. And it's just a thing that we do here at this church. And it's, uh, it's vitally important. Okay. So if you show up for that, that's it. I wrote those two things on my hand. I had a great tattoo idea. I was going to put things to do and then just put lines because I write on my hand all the time. I'm not going to do that, but If you want to, you know. I don't have copyrights on it or anything. Okay, let me read a little bit, and I'll do my best to break it down. Here we go. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, God says, and I will multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For men swear by something greater than themselves, for them confirming oaths end every dispute. Because God wanted to show His unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus had entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'll explain all this if you haven't been here, and it's not near as complicated as it sounds. Now, Abraham... If you know anything about Abraham, is possibly the most important figure in the Bible besides Jesus Christ. What makes Abraham so important is the three largest religions in the entire world all trace their beginning back to Abraham. Of course, the Jews do. The Christians, because we're, we're, we're linked intrinsically to the Jews because of our faith, we're Judeo-Christians. It started with the Jews and it's kind of been completed through Christ. And even Islam links its beginning to Abraham. Now, I won't get into all that, but there was a split between brothers, which produced the Jews and, and the Islamic world. Anyways, but they trace their lineage back to Abraham. Now, God made an oath to Abraham A promise in Genesis chapter 22 that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, it doesn't take a genius to see that has come to fruition. There's a lot of people in this world that trace their lineage back to Abraham. So when God made this promise, he swore to himself Now, whenever a promise is made, you and I, we always swear to something higher than ourselves. I I don't know if your mom ever did this. My mom always said, don't swear to God. But that's what we do. If someone doesn't believe us, I swear to God. We swear to something higher. Now, God has nothing higher to swear to. So when he made this, this oath to Abraham, he's like, okay, Abraham, I swear to myself that I will do this. He had no one else higher to swear to. So God made a promise before Abraham And and after he had told Abraham that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars, an interesting thing happens in the Bible. God tells Abraham, take your son, Isaac, go up on this hillside, build an altar, and kill your son. Now, if you've ever heard that story before, God's not this, this psychopathic one that wants you to kill your kids. The whole point of the story was, is that whatever God gives us still belongs to God, and at any time we should be willing to lay it back down at God's feet, and so anyways, so Abraham goes up, lays his son down on the altar. He's about to kill him. And right before he kills him, God stops him and says, I just wanted to see if you were obedient. Look, there's a sacrifice over there. Grab that and let your son live. And after he saw Abraham's obedience, that's when he swore the oath. He made the ultimate promise because of your obedience, I will fulfill what I have promised you. Now we're to imitate Abraham's example. Doesn't mean you hogtie your kids and threaten to kill them. Um, but we are to imitate his example. God has a promise for all of us, and we are to act in obedience to what he's called us to do. And through faith and patience, there's the hard one, we will inherit the blessings and the destiny that God has for us through faith and patience. Now, if we're just honest with ourselves, we have an extremely hard time with promises. If we're honest, we have a hard time with the promises of God, Because of how many times we've been hurt on earth. We've been hurt by churches. We've been hurt by politicians. We've been hurt by parents. We've been hurt by everyone. So promises don't mean much to us nowadays. And we have become a very unfaithful culture. We have not been very true to each other. Now, our culture is unfaithful. People are unfaithful. But Jesus calls us to be counterculture. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus essentially says there's no reason for you to swear to God. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you can't do something, just say you can't do it. Number one mark of a good leader is someone who knows when to say, no, I can't. No, I can't. And so let your yes be yes, your no be no. Jesus also says, or the Bible also says, I'm sorry, that it is better to finish something than to start it. So there are people who start projects all the time. They start things. They have all these great ideas, but they never see anything to its completion. And Jesus said, or the Bible said, I'm sorry, that it's better to finish something than to keep starting new things. And so we have the hope and a promise that started with Abraham, right? This promise to have this relationship with God and these great things, these blessings of God's that continued on through Jesus Christ. And essentially the promise is this, that if we have faith, we will have eternal life Through God. That's the promise. That's what we've all been given. And we find hope. But where do we find this hope? Four very important points I'm going to show you. Where our hope comes from. The first one is this, and I can get really worked up over this first one, is the trustworthiness of God's word. I'm talking about the Bible. If one studies the Bible enough, and if they study the historical works around the Bible, we see that the history of the Bible is solid We see that the archaeology of the Bible is solid. The more and more that they discover around the world, and dig deeper and deeper down the layers of earth, they find more and more people, places, and things that support all the stories of the Bible. When we were going through the book of Daniel, my main thing that I got out, that's one of my favorite books I've ever taught. When we were teaching the book of Daniel, the thing I got the most out of that is the historical uh, uh, solidifying that that book does for the word of God. All the things that Daniel predicted, all the regime changes and empire changes, and the details that he listed. When he talked about the Greek empire, that there would be one leader that would break into four. If you know much about history, Alexander the Great had four generals and it all breaks down perfectly. And when you read that and you see the fulfillment of that, that gives you hope that the Bible is true. Not only have the prophecies come true, not only is the archeology span and the history solid, The principles just work. The principles of money in the Bible work. If you keep up with the news right now, Saudi Arabia, I believe, is thinking about calling back some debt from the United States that that, that we have to them uh, because of a law that we're about to pass, and that could possibly throw us into economic ruin. But the Bible says that the debtor is slave to the lender. We should have never gotten in debt to anyone in the first place. And so we go into all these things, the principles of economics work in the Bible, the principles of relationships work in the Bible, the principles of biology and the principles of sexuality work in the Bible. If we followed the biblical principles of sex, one man, one woman for life, there would be no sexually transmitted diseases in two generations. That would be a thing of the past. But instead, we're trying to do all these other things to compensate for not following the word of God. But the word of God is trustworthy. We also see there is hope in our tenacity. What I mean is this, the faster we run and pursue Jesus, the faster he runs and pursues us. The more we put into it, the more he will invest back in us. The the more we know in knowledge and obedience to him, the closer he draws to us. He's faithful to give us security, he's faithful to give us protection, even in the darkest parts of this life. He gives us a peace that passes all understanding. If we will just draw close to him, He will draw close to us. We also receive hope in the anchor that is Jesus. Even if you're not a Christian in here, you can go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I don't care who you are and what your beliefs are. You have to respect Jesus' life. You have to respect that he loved the downtrodden. He loved the underdog. He was a champion of, of, if you want to put it this way, women's rights, and he was a champion of being the one that reached out to people that no one loved. Jesus's life was exemplary. Not just that, his death, burial, and resurrection bring us hope in the fact that what Jesus did, far beyond just living a good example, was he took down the separation between humanity and God. When it says that he entered into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, what that's referring to is in the Old Testament tabernacles, there was a place where the priest could go, there was an outer court where everyone could go, and then there was an inner room called the Holy of Holies. One person in the community could enter into that room, a high priest, and the high priest could enter in, but he needed to be completely devoid of sin. He had to go through all these ritual washings and cleansings, and they would still tie a bell to his leg and a rope. That when he walked in, if they stopped hearing the bell, oh crap, we've got to pull him out because he's dead because he had sin in his heart. And only one man could enter into the presence of God. What Jesus did through the cross, figuratively and even literally, is he ripped this huge curtain that divided the spirit of God from his people and he made it to where now all people have direct access to God. All people have direct access to the spirit of God, the power of God, the presence of God. There's no longer a room. The room is us. God now lives in us and we have hope in that. We also have hope in the fact that Christ's throne is immovable. Governments rise, fall, kings rise and fall. Jesus Christ's throne will never move. And we have hope and the promise that we will be around that throne for eternity if we just give our life to Him. So hope, look at the world around us. Hope is something that has been very, very uh, hard to find. It's been very elusive. But hope allows us to hold on. God's Spirit encourages us. It gives us hope and empowers us to keep going in this life. And if we claim our promise, which is our salvation, if we claim our relationship with God, we can live committed to Christ right now and we can enjoy the benefits of having that relationship with Jesus right now and we will also enjoy those benefits for all of eternity, all of eternity. Next part. So we ended that last part with a guy named Melchizedek. Now let's talk about him for a second. For this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means King of Righteousness, then also King of Salem, which means King of Peace. He's without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God." He remains a priest forever. Now, if you haven't been here, when we briefly talked about this guy, Melchizedek, a couple of weeks ago, now, he's only mentioned two times in the Old Testament. He's a very ominous figure. He's a guy that we, we, there's a lot of debates about who this individual was. What this is referring to is Genesis chapter 14, and what was going on in this part of of Genesis was Abraham was surrounded by four different kingdoms, okay? Okay. These four different kingdoms invaded Abraham and he had to go and fight all these battles against these four neighboring kingdoms. One of those kingdoms was uh, Sodom, which has become a very famous city uh, because of the story in the Bible when it was destroyed by God. But one of the kings that he defeated was the king of Sodom. And so when people would defeat other nations they would gather up all their resources, uh, their, their, whatever the currency was, cattle, different things like that, armor, swords, weaponry. They would get all these things, get all the spoils, and they would take them back to their kingdom. Now, Abraham had made a promise to God not to become rich or wealthy or get all these things from these kingdoms through war. And so one of the kings, the king of Sodom, came up and said, Abraham, I know you just beat us in battle but can we have our resources back? And because Abraham had made a promise to God, he said, yes, I will give you all your resources back. Now, before he and the king of Sodom had this conversation, Abraham met Melchizedek. He was faithful to God, Abraham was. Melchizedek noticed his faithfulness to God, came out to meet Abraham and brought bread and wine to him, gave it to him to eat, and then blessed him. Now, Melchizedek was king and high priest over the area of what is modern day Jerusalem. And when he came out to bless them with this, he he came out and said, here, you've been faithful to God. Let me bless you. And in response to that, Abraham gave Melchizedek 10% of everything he had just acquired from these four kingdoms. Here, here's a 10th of everything I had to honor you, the man of God. Okay? Now this transaction was vitally important. There's a lot of analogy and metaphor that we can get from this. What Abraham was doing is he met face to face with his superior, the the person that was over him. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham in a way that only a superior could bless a, a subordinate or an inferior. So remember, if you haven't been with us, Melchizedek is either a foreshadowing of Jesus, someone that's very, very similar to Jesus in the Old Testament, or some people believe he's what's called a theophany or a Christophany, which means a physical manifestation of God or physical manifestation of Jesus before the New Testament. We don't really know which one it is. That's kind of missing the point. But what we are to learn is how to imitate Abraham's response when we come face to face with our superior. So thinking of Melchizedek is like an archetype, right? Of of an example. His name means king of righteousness. He was uh, uh, the king over the area Jerusalem, which made him the king of peace. We also see it reads that he was without father, without mother, without genealogy, no beginning of days, no end of days. So a lot of people, if they take that literally, Well, this was was Jesus manifested before the New Testament. Now, some people take that as figuratively, but the point is this. We are to understand that Jesus is a leader like this guy, Melchizedek. He's righteous, he's peaceful. We are to honor him. That's the point of this whole story. And so sometimes in the Bible, we can get into the crazy stuff of the Bible. And If we're just being honest, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. It's all good. It's all profitable. We should study it. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can go down rabbit holes and we can miss the point that the author was trying to make. And the point that the author was simply trying to make here, Hebrews is trying to encourage the reader that Jesus is not only a king, but he's a king completely different from the kings of this world. He's not like the leaders of this world, regardless of how, some of the, the, how good some of the the leaders of this world are. Jesus is different from that. He's set apart from that. And so in the interaction between Abraham and Melchizedek, Abe and Mel, in the interaction between these two, we see the proper response that we are to have when we come into a relationship with our superior Jesus. Now, this talks about tithing. Here, Here we go down the uncomfortable road. Tithing is an interesting thing. Um, before I get into this, I just want to tell this church: if you've never heard me say this, I have no idea at this church who tithes and who doesn't. Tithing is giving a ten percent of your income to the church, and that's so we can feed the poor. That's so we can do yard days. That's so the staff here can actually feed their kids and live. That's so we can turn on these lights. It's so we can pay rent. It's so we can give out Bibles. It's so we can do all those things that churches are supposed to do. Now. Tithing is not simply a fiduciary transaction. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna shoot each other straight. Tithing is an issue of the heart. And when we honor God through our giving, it shows that we understand that God has given us more than we deserve. Now, we sometimes complain, how dare you tell me to give 10%. Well, if we wanna get down to the nitty gritty of it, guys, 100% of everything you have is only because of the grace of God. And when people say, Corey, you're legalistic for saying that you need to tithe. If you want to go the Old Testament route, it was a law. You had to tithe. God told us, Malachi 3, I'll open up the floodgates or I will curse you depending on your obedience and the tithing issue. Now, some people say that's an Old Testament thing, though Jesus talked about it too. Anyways, some people say it's an Old Testament thing. Well, if it is just an Old Testament thing, the New Testament thing says that you owe God everything. So I don't know which way you want to take this. But at the very least, I think we should honor what God says in Malachi chapter 3 when he spoke to the prophet. Anyways, it shows our understanding of how much God has done for us. It shows our understanding of honor and authority, and it it shows and it reveals to us the obedience in our own heart if we are willing to give or if we are not. Let me tell you this about tithing, though. My wife and I have always been faithful tithers. We have not had everything we've wanted in life, but we have had everything we've needed. God has always been faithful to us. And once we have a revelation of Jesus and the blessings and the grace he has shown. Now listen to this, God was faithful first. It says that while he was on the cross, we were still sinners. He was graceful and He was merciful first. And our response should be humility to that, it should be obedience to that, and it should be honor, not just honoring Him with our finances, honoring Him in everything we do in life. Now look, another thing, if we honor Him, we will be, He will be faithful in all things to us. Many people have come to me and they've wanted prayer for finances, they've wanted prayer for decisions that they need, that they need to, be, uh, to make financially. And the only time I'll ever ask you if you give is I'll say, are you faithful to the Lord with your finances? And they say no. And I tell them, I cannot pray for your finances because you don't trust God with your finances. I cannot pray for that for you. If you are faithful to him, I give you my word from someone who's lived it, he will be faithful back. Will you have everything you want? Can you always have cable and a 2016 car and all the nicest things? My wife and I have never had any of those things. We've been faithful to him and he's always been faithful to us. And I'll just leave it at that. Next part. Now consider how great this man was, talking about Melchizedek. Even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi who received the priestly office have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they have descended from Abraham. But one without his lineage collected tenths from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, men who will die receive tenths, but in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself who receives tenths has paid tenths Through Abraham, for he was still within his uh, his ancestor when Melchizedek met with him. So, what the author is essentially saying is this: is that if we know how great Abraham was, if we know how much of a big deal, and if he was talking to a Jewish audience, when you talk Abraham, Abraham was like, "There's God, and right under God is Abraham." So, if Abraham was great, and if Abraham honored this guy Melchizedek. If he honored Melchizedek, the point that the author was trying to make is if Melchizedek is representing Jesus, how much more should we honor Jesus? So by law, the Jews had to pay a tithe to the Levitical priests. That was a law. And so, but but Mel was not a Levitical priest. Melchizedek was not one of the priests that by law Abraham had to give to When Abraham gave to Melchizedek, he gave it not out of a sense of obligation, he gave it out of a sense of honor. The reason why I don't want to know who gives and I don't want to send you things, and man, there's churches that ask for like your W-2s and stuff, that's just ridiculous and crazy. I'm not going to get into that because I don't want you to give to this church for the cause of advancing Christ because you feel pressured or obligated. I want you to do it because you love the mission of Christ. I want you to give out of a sense of honoring Jesus because he's honored us. God, you've blessed me with all this. 10% is not that much. And so I want to be honorable with that, not of an obligation, but out of honor. And that's how he gave to Melchizedek. And so it says, I find this a fascinating sentence that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Now, the Levitical priests were pastors, kind of, kind of like how I'm a pastor. And they could bless the people on a certain level. They could uh, teach them the word. They could be with them if there was marital issues. They could help them when they had a loss of a loved one. And they could do those things. But ultimately, they could not save the people. They could not restore the people. So again, using Melchizedek is like an archetype, as an example we're reminded that only God can completely save people. Only God can completely lead people and restore people and help humanity. So after saying that, and all of you in this room, if you're a Christian, you know ultimately that I can't fix you. You know that it's Jesus that has to fix you, not a counselor, not any of that, not that those things are bad, but what we tend to do is we search everywhere else and then our last ditch effort is we let God know our problems. And so I ask you, if we know that the, that, that the answer ultimately boils down to Jesus, why is that not our first go-to? Instead, when we feel stressed, man, I just need you know, this drink, or I need this, or I need to watch this, or I need to, I, I, I need to talk to this individual, our first response to whatever curveballs life throws us is, we've got to take that to the Lord. And if you really wanted to be honest, the majority of our problems would probably be taken care of if we would just approach the Lord first. Our anxieties, our stresses, our fears, our concerns, our needs, our wants, if we would just take those things to the Lord. That's not to say that the Lord might focus you into counseling. We believe in counseling here. He might focus you into. You might need a medical doctor. And there's good Christian medical doctors. You might need all these different things. But let's first take it to the Lord and see what he tells us to do. Why are we searching everywhere else when he should be our first go-to for that? Guys, I do it too. Now, that's not to say that we don't honor people. For me saying that God's the ultimate answer and you should go to him first doesn't mean you should dishonor other people. Verse 8 mentions that we are to give who men, uh, give to men who will die. What that's talking about is this, is that we are to give to good nonprofits. We are to give to the church. We are to honor people who are just mere mortals and not perfect, but we are to honor them for the sake of the advance of, uh, advancement of the gospel, for the sake of the social justice and helping out our community. But again, humans are humans. And though people can help us, they cannot ultimately fix us. But what God calls us to do is honor authority, both religious authority and non-religious authority. And the Bible says, I just listed three, but there's many, many more, that rebellion to authority is sin. Rebellion to authority is sin. Now, let's get into some uncomfortable waters here. Peter, this is where I messed up last night, Peter, who was crucified upside down for his beliefs by the Roman Empire, the same Roman Empire, they believe the same Roman Emperor, Had Paul beheaded, they both wrote about honoring the government. Let me read you what Peter wrote. He says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by them to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Well, Corey, we should only honor governments that praise those who are good and punish people who are bad. Guys, I don't know how much you know about the Roman Empire. We like to, like, romanticize the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was awful, awful. They treated women terribly. They had male sex slaves that were sometimes nine and 10 years old, most of the senators. They slaughtered tons of people. You've ever seen the movie Gladiator? Marcus Aurelius, the, you know, the, the, this great Roman emperor that's just like this loving dad, right? That dude killed more Christians than possibly anyone else in history. He was an awful, terrible person. He's the one that threw Christians in the Colosseum and had lions eat them as 50,000 people cheered about it. It was an awful society, an awful culture. And Peter and Paul wrote about honoring that authority. And they were not a good authority, but they were there because the Lord has an ultimate plan and we are to respect and honor the governing authorities. And so that's what he wrote about. And so he goes on to say this. For it is God's will, man this is so big, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. The way you change the hearts of man is not get on blocks and tell them all that they're going to hell, it's not by making fun of them, it's not by slapping 666 on Barack's forehead and making it your profile pic. That doesn't do any good. That does not silence ignorance, it just fosters up more ignorance. The Bible says if you want to silence ignorant fools, do it by doing the work of the Lord, by being what Christ wants us to be, by doing good things. That's what he says to do. So the way that the Roman Empire eventually became the same empire that went from killing Christians to making Christianity the official religion of the state was by the bishops that were thrown into the Colosseum that had half their faces ripped away. Go back and read about the the church fathers of the fourth century who sat with Constantine at the Council of Nicaea, and they were all invited in. And Constantine, as the story goes, sat there and wept because most of the pastors of the age were missing eyes, missing parts of their throat and torsos from where lions had ripped their flesh away in the Colosseums. But they changed the world not from protesting, not from being jerks, not, not relying on politicians. They changed the world by doing the work of the Lord. And as God's slaves, I love this, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 12, I can do whatever I want. You're using your freedom as a way to conceal evil. So here's one of these great lists in the Bible. Just a couple of statements and it's so direct. Honor everyone, not just people who look like you, talk like you and believe like you. Peter says, honor everybody. Honor everyone, treat everyone honorably. We talk about this a lot in this church. Well, they don't believe like me. Well, they're racist or they're this or they're that. Treat them like they are made in the image of God and through that love, they may have a revelation of who Jesus is. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Well, but they're Baptists, love them. They're Pentecostals, love them. They're Catholics, love them. I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, Catholics can go to heaven too, it's crazy. We think like there's this huge divide. Well, I got this friend, they're a Catholic, and I'm like, do they love Jesus? Well, yeah, and I'm like, okay. Love the brotherhood. Above all things, we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus even talks about, we will leave our biological families sometimes. Some of you have left your biological families or they have left you because of your faith, but this is our family. Love the brotherhood. Something Christianity has done is become extremely efficient at tearing down other Christians. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Corey, that's an Old Testament thing. First Peter's in the New Testament, by the way. And Jesus himself said, don't be afraid of those that can hurt the body. Be afraid of the one that can cast your soul into hell. Proverbs says, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. We're not afraid of God, but we understand that He created the universe like that, and He can uncreate us just as quickly. We fear God. We also honor the emperor. There's the hard one, right? Honor the emperor. Honor the person in charge. Go back again and read the book of Daniel. Not one person that Daniel served under was a God-fearing, good man. But Daniel changed whole empires. Because he did the work of the Lord, because he lived and he honored the one in charge. And he honored and that brought glory to God. Okay, let me recap. I got a couple of points and we'll get out of here. This is going to recap it. First one is this that we get from this chapter, is that we have hope. Through the promises of Abraham, through the stories of the heroes of the Bible, and from the testimonies in this room, if you don't get on our website... And look at the life of the experience videos you need to. They're about five minutes long apiece. We do one every single week. A good friend of mine, Mark and Shannon Henry, just did theirs this week. A great story of redemption from a couple that was separated. Wonderful story. Every week we have hope because we see what God has done in the past. We see what he's doing now. And we see through those things that he can do something great for us as well. We have hope. We can find peace in what Christ has done and what he will do. We also need to remember that this life is not it. We live this life to the fullest. We do the best we can to be ambitious, work hard, raise good families, have good marriages, create new art, write new songs, write books. We do these things and we live this life to its fullest. And we do that with the Holy Spirit. But we must remember that this life is not our final destination. We are investing now for something that is much greater in the future. The Bible says we are migrants, we are passing through. We have not gotten home yet, and we need to remember that, and we have hope in that. We also have the perfect example. Simply read about the life of Jesus Christ. Read through the gospels. If you're not a Christian in here, if you're not a believer, go back and read the book of Matthew. This week I was studying for my lesson and I've never heard God audibly speak, but I feel him, and I know that he's talking to me. I, God, I was sitting here reading, I was studying for this, and God said, quit worrying about sucking so bad this week, and just read something about me. And I did. I flipped over to Matthew, and I read chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. I just needed to hear, I just needed to hear Jesus' words. I just needed to hear Him. And when we go back and read, go back and read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 look at Jesus' words, see how they work. They do work. They work in our lives. They bring us closer to our Creator. We see that Jesus is just. He is peaceful. He is generous. He is gracious. He is loving, even when we have not been. So one of the, one of the, the, the centurions, one of the, uh, 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 the Roman soldiers that was nailing Jesus to the cross, it probably wasn't a centurion, but under a centurion, nailing Jesus to the cross, As they're nailing him to the cross, what does Jesus say? God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Moments later, probably several hours later, Jesus dies. It says that the earth shakes and the the, the sky goes dark. One of the Roman empires, possibly one that nailed him to the cross, dropped to his knees and he said, surely this was the Son of God. Listen. God is so gracious that one of the very men that nailed him to the cross on Calvary possibly gave his life to the Savior he just killed. That's grace. That's a ridiculous, unfathomable grace, but that's how Jesus lived, and that's how he continues to show us, and we are to imitate that level of grace. Corey, how dare you tell us to love those people who are persecuting us and killing us because Jesus set that example and we are to imitate that grace. We are to imitate that grace. The next thing, we are called to honor God. One of those fun lists. We're called to honor God through our giving, through our serving, through respecting other people, through loving fellow believers, through fearing him, through following his commands, and by honoring the authority that he's put in our lives. He has also given us an oath that he will honor our faithfulness to him. All the faithfulness that we have to him, he will honor that. And that brings me to my last point. We have been promised something much better than what we can produce on our own. What I mean is this. Jesus modeled a better life, not an easier life, but a better life. Nothing about Jesus' life, nothing about his disciples' life was easy, but it was better. And once we realize that he has shown us grace, once we realize, we've had a revelation of who Jesus is, we've submitted and given ourselves to him, once we've realized that, he asks for everything. Full submission. Full submission. A good example of that is, I think it's Luke chapter nine, I might be wrong on that. A young man comes up and says, Jesus, my dad just passed away, I've got to handle all the affairs of our family and our estate, but I want to follow you, but right after I do this, you know, I'll follow you. Jesus' response was, let the dead bury their dead. Come on. And the question was, are you willing to give up everything to come walk with me? And he wasn't. Rich young ruler, the same thing. Hey, I've done all these commands. Okay, that's great. Sell everything and give it to the poor. That doesn't mean that we all have to sell everything. He was checking his heart. Are you in? Are you 100% in? Are you fully submitted? Here's the thing. If you're in here and you're not a Christian, I'm just going to be very upfront with you. If you give your life to Jesus, he's going to get into all your business. He's going to get into your marriage. He's going to get into how you work. He's going to get into what you listen to and what you watch. He's going to get into your finances. He's going to get into every single corner of your life because he wants all of you but here's the beauty of Jesus Jesus says give me everything you have and now that's scary right all of us have been intimidated by this transaction but the beauty is this he says give it give it all to me but i promise you i'm going to multiply it to a level you cannot understand give it all give me your thoughts give me your relationships Trust me with your money, trust me with your energy, trust me with your health, trust me with everything you have, and I'm going to give you a taste of the kingdom now, and I'm going to let you inherit the whole thing later. He will give you so much more. I can tell you story upon story upon story of people in this room, people on this stage who are at a crossroads in their life where they could go their way and in this world have tremendous success, but they chose instead. To go the right the 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 route of christ and god has given them more than they could have ever imagined ever imagined i could talk about my friend kyle right that gave everything up could never have a child now i got to hold his little girl just the other day in the office right i can tell you stories of robert that plays drums here who gave up touring in europe with a very famous band very famous musician Gave that up so he could get married to Brooke, and now he has a successful business and a healthy marriage, and his wife's pregnant. And I can I can tell you all these stories of people who have gone the right way, and God has just honored them and blessed them. And so what I want to tell you is this: some of you are at this crossroad to where you have your wants, your desires, what you want to do, and not that all those things are necessarily bad. But I give you my word from someone who's tried everything, drugs sex, all these things. And you know what it led me to? I tried to kill myself three times. And it was on the third attempt, if you've never been to a next class, it was on my third attempt when I found the Lord. But all those things led me, being signed to record labels, touring all over the place, having money, having drugs, having women, having all those things. It led me to try to take my life because there was no contentment in those things. All the investment that I put in, I never got a return back. And Jesus says, not only will I return it, I'll return it in a way that you can't even comprehend right now. There are some of you in this room that need to make a decision. There are some of you who need to get into the waters where your toes don't touch and just trust that the Lord's going to hold you up. He will. I have not had everything I've wanted. I've had everything I've needed. But one day I will have so much. That I will have an eternity to enjoy it And I still will not have enjoyed it to its fullest, if that makes any sense. I will have an eternity to be with Jesus Christ, and that will never get old. That's what he's promised me. And we get a taste of that right now if we'll just shove the chips in the middle, if we'll just dive in, if we'll just step off. Would you bow your heads with me, please? For those of you in this room who are not believers... I simply want to ask you this, have your ways worked? If you're in here and you are not a believer in Jesus, have your decisions, have your ways, have your desires, has that led you to contentment? Do you sleep better at night? If the answer is no, let me offer you another way. It's not an easier way, but it's better. And that's to give yourself completely to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or if you want someone to pray with you, there'll be some men and women up here to my left. They'd be more than willing to pray with you. If you're in here and you are a Christian, but if you're honest with yourself and you have not fully submitted, there are parts of you that you're afraid to give over. There are desires and things that you want that you're afraid to relent to him. If you're in here and you're one of those individuals, I want to tell you, if you will just trust him, And if you will just give everything over, if you will just dive in, he'll give you more than you could ever imagine. He will fulfill you and he will give you contentment like you never thought you could have. So on my right and left, there's communion. Represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Represents our relationship that we can have with him and the Holy Spirit that can fill us up. You're welcome to take that as long as you ask God to forgive you. Take some time and evaluate your commitment, evaluate, have you given a hundred percent? Lord Jesus, we love you, God. We thank you. As we take communion, God, as people pray together, Father, Lord, I just pray that you help us have the courage to fully commit, God. And when we fully commit, Jesus, God, give us the assurance and the hope that you will be faithful and you will honor every step and every decision we've made, God. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you, Lord. And we do all of this in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself to communion and there's people up here to my left to pray.